Porch Dallas. How we doing? My name is Adam Tarno. Excited to be with you guys. I want to welcome everybody at all the other Porch Live locations and everybody watching online. I'm excited to be here with you guys. You guys uh, just start off with a quick question. Anybody ever had one of those moments in life where you just wanted to crawl and hide and like not show your face for a long period of time? Well, since we've already connected so well, I figured I'd go ahead and open up with one of my most embarrassing and shameful moments uh, in my life. And so just to set up a little bit of context, it was about 11 years ago. My wife and I uh, were married and we didn't have any kids. We were living in a cool part of Dallas. This is back when we were cool. And so we were living down in the M Streets area. And so those of you that aren't in Dallas, you don't know that, but everybody in this room knows that's where all the cool people are. And so we were down there living in the M Streets. We didn't have any kids. And so we did what a lot of young married couples will do is we got a pet, but we made a bad mistake and we didn't get the dog. We got a cat. All right. And I, I know I just offended most of you, but just wait, it gets worse. Okay. And so um, anyway, we got this cat, and for a lot of reasons, we needed to let this cat be an outdoor cat. And so usually the way things would go is uh, we'd get home from running errands or whatever, and the cat would be waiting on the porch to go inside and do whatever cats do. And uh, this one Saturday afternoon, I remember it was in November, one Saturday afternoon, we come back after being gone all day, and the cat is not on the porch. And I also had kind of an unhealthy relationship with this cat, meaning that I really liked it. And, um, and so... I had, I, I like had a little bit of anxiety when we drove in and I looked around and I couldn't find the cat anywhere and just thought, oh, that's, that's strange and went inside and we dropped off whatever, you know, groceries or whatever it was that we had. And so I decided I'm going to go outside and try to find the cat and I'm walking around and I can't find the cat anywhere. I come inside. I'm like, Jackie, have you seen the cat? No, I haven't seen it. I go back outside and I'm in the backyard and then I just hear this faint little cry. And I'm like starting to look around and my heart's starting to beat a little bit faster. And I'm like, okay, where, where is he? Where is he? And I, I hear the cry and I hear the cry and I look in my neighbor's yard up about 25 feet and I realize, oh good Lord, my cat's 25 feet up in that tree, okay? And I don't know what to do, but I just kind of start to panic. And so I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get you, buddy, all right? And so I, I go running inside and I'm like, Jackie, Pedro is in the tree. Pedro was his name. And um, I'm like, Pedro's in the tree right now. And she's just like, so? I'm like, well, he's over there and it's November. It's supposed to get cold tonight. It's starting to get dark outside. What are we going to do to get him out of the tree? And it's like, she just looks at me and she goes, have you ever seen a dead cat in a tree? And I was like, no. And she's like, that's because they always come down. Okay. Like they don't, they don't stay up there and just die. And I'm like, but that's what, you know, you heartless woman, that's our baby. And so I really kind of start to panic and I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do to get this cat down? I start looking around the apartment and I just gather anything I think I can throw up there. And I kid you not, I go out there with tennis balls and rolls of paper towel, okay? And I go up there and I'm like chucking these tennis balls up at him and I nail him in the side and he does not move an inch. Like he just digs down in more and uh, the paper towels was just useless. I don't know why I brought those out there. I tried throwing them up there. They went about 10 feet in the air and then came back down. And so anyway, I go inside and it's starting to get a little bit darker and I'm really starting to panic a little bit and I'm starting to wonder, what are we gonna do to get this cat out of the tree? I can't let him stay out here all night. And, uh, and then just an idea popped into my mind is sometimes I see on like Good Morning America that if you call the fire department, <laughs> they'll come get your cat out of the tree. Well, I'm not gonna call 911, so I just Google fire department in Dallas and I find a phone number and I call it. It's like some office line and I don't know why on a Saturday this young lady answers the phone, and I just say, hey, uh, my cat is stuck in a tree, 
Do you guys actually do that, or is that just on TV in small towns where the fire department has nothing else going on? Is that, is that like something you do? And she said, oh, yeah, we'll do that. And I said, okay, well, how can I schedule that? Because I got a cat in a tree <laughs> right now. And she says, well, you need to call 911 and just tell them. And I was like, this feels like a violation, uh, but okay. And so I hang up, call 911, and it's like, Dallas Fire, what's your emergency? And I'm like, no emergency. Um, just want to let you know. My name's Adam. Hope you're doing well. I called this other number, and they told me to call you because I got a cat stuck in the tree. And I heard that if, like, the fire guys aren't doing anything, they'll, they'll come get my cat out of the tree. And they said, sure, we'll, we'll do that. Where do you live? Gave them the address. Come. And I'm like, problem solved. Walk into the kitchen. I'm all proud. Jackie, I called the fire department. They're coming. And she's like, I'm having nothing to do with this, okay? This is all you. I'm staying inside. So I go outside, and I'm like anxiously waiting for the fire department to show up. And then literally like seven minutes later, this truck comes rolling down and then it stops right in front of my house and then it turns the lights on. It's dark outside now or it's like right at dusk. My entire neighborhood is now lit up in lights. And that was the first moment when I started to realize, oh no, I should not have done this, okay? Because now the neighbors are starting to look out the window and people are starting to come on the, out on their porch and they're like, who had a heart attack? You know, what, what's going on? And I'm, I'm just sitting there going, no, it's just me, my cat. And so then three of the manliest men I have ever seen in my life. You guys know those fireman calendars? I promise you it was May, June, and July. on this fire truck that get down. And it's in that moment, I am just like, what is going on in my life right now? Like I, in the recovery world that we call that rock bottom, like I had hit rock bottom right there. And I just realized I'm like, yeah, my, my cat's over here. And so I walk him to the backyard and you know, Mr. May brings the, the, the ladder up and then June climbs up it. And, and I start to like try to man up a little bit in that. And I just think, oh, I'm going to say something cool. And I'm like, if you got a gun, you can shoot them down. <laughs> and they looked at me like, you are an idiot, okay? And so they grab my cat, they grab Pedro, and they hand him to me, and I take him inside, you know, and, and I look at my wife, and I'm like, it's all done. You know, I, I got him, and she was just like, I can't believe you did that. And I just said, I know, I've kind of lost the will to live, I think, now. <laughs> And I just, uh, as the time went by, you know, just a few minutes go by and now they're leaving, it just, I was overwhelmed with just this feeling of humiliation and embarrassment. It was pretty, it was prevalent. It was very real. And so I start with that tonight because that's what we're going to talk about as we're going on in this series called Mood as we we're taking a biblical look at different human emotions. And so the human emotion that we're going to talk about tonight is shame. Shame and embarrassment. When I say shame, here's what I mean. Shame is that feeling that we have, this deep feeling of humiliation we have after certain choices that we make. Shame is this thing in our life where we feel this desire to hide or conceal different parts of our life. That's what shame is. And so shame is prevalent in every single one of our lives. And that's why I think tonight's message is so important because what I, what I know is probably true about every single person in this room tonight is this, is that you struggle with shame. It is a universal emotion. Every single one of us feels shame at certain points throughout the day or we have at certain points in our life. It is like a disease that has infected humanity. 
All of us have felt it. Some of us are in here tonight and this is exactly what we're feeling. We're feeling this humiliation for certain choices that we've made and we have this deep desire to try to conceal or hide certain aspects of our life. But what makes shame so interesting and so dangerous is unlike other moods or other emotions that you and I experience, shame is absolutely intolerable. If you think about it, the other moods or emotions that we go through, you can feel them for a long period of time. You can feel joy for a long period of time. You can feel happy for a long period of time. You can feel content for a long period of time. You can feel mad or angry for a long period of time. You can feel depressed or sad or hopeless for a long period of time. But shame, this feeling of humiliation, this feeling that I want to hide or conceal is unlike any of those other emotions. Shame is intolerable in our life. And it always, always, always leads us to action. And oftentimes, as we're going to see tonight, that action, what we choose to do, where we choose to run, it doesn't help at all. Shame is a big deal for every single one of us. And you have got to learn how to deal with shame. Because if you don't learn how to deal with it, it will take you out. It will completely take you out. In the extreme examples, it will lead to suicide. You will just become so humiliated with your life and so down about your life and you will lose all hope that anything in the future could ever be better. And so in an extreme example, if shame, if you don't learn how to deal with it, it will lead to you just ending your life. It'll end in suicide. But more commonly where it probably ends for a lot of us is this, is just this gnawing, nagging, deep-seated insecurity and low-level depression that just hangs with us. And it just seems to be this thing, this mood that we cannot shake. Shame impacts every single one of us. And if we don't learn how to deal with it, it is going to take us out. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to open up God's word. We're going to be in this little story in Luke chapter 8 in the gospel of Luke. And it's actually kind of a story within a story. And so here's a little bit of the context. Jesus has been doing some public ministry. There are a lot of crowds around him. And he is walking through this town and this family comes up to him and they tell him about their daughter who is sick, this family member who is so sick that she's on the verge of dying. And so Jesus, full of compassion, wants to go and help this family and try to heal this young woman, to heal this young girl. Well, as Jesus and the crowds are moving towards this house, a woman comes and interrupts Jesus. And it's in these few verses in this interruption as Jesus is on his way to go heal this young girl where we're going to see a story that really parallels our life a lot when it comes to shame. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So if you got your Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 42 through 48. And so here we go. Luke chapter 8, verses 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, for 12 years. This is what I love about God's word is that it doesn't hide anything. It talks about real adult human things. And so this poor woman was subject to vaginal hemorrhaging for over 12 years, for 12 years. So Jesus is on his way and this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years comes up to him and this is what happens. So she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. This was a plague that she had been carrying around, this thorn in her side that she had been carrying around. In verse 44, she came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. 
Then verse 45, who touched me? Jesus asked. Let's just pause here for a second. So you can kind of get this scene. There's these crowds, they're crushing Jesus and he's moving on and they want to see this drama that's going to happen as he goes and and is going to heal this young girl. And there in the midst of all of that, this woman sneaks up behind him, touches the edge of his cloak and then just disappears. And Jesus is kind of looking around going, who touched me? And you can think about this woman and why it was that would cause her, what it was in her life that would cause her to want to sneak up behind Jesus. And it's pretty clear and it's easy to understand why she would do that because the, the thing that had been uh, ailing her or the, the ailment that she had was incredibly embarrassing. I mean, for 12 years to have that bleeding and you can just imagine all the different layers that were there adding to the complications that culturally, because she was having this bleeding that would not stop for 12 years, culturally, she was an outcast. She was an outcast and she was considered unclean. She was this recluse. She was isolated because of this problem that was going on with her own body. And so because she was an outcast culturally, that means spiritually, she could not worship God. She was an outcast spiritually. And then you just think about the embarrassment physically and how uncomfortable that must have been physically in the first century when we don't have the modern medicine that we have today or even the hygiene products that we have today. This was a woman who was dealing with a significant issue and she was feeling this inadequacy in her life. She was feeling this inadequacy. There was something that was embarrassing, something that she wanted to conceal or hide, something that was probably humiliating her. But mixed with that inadequacy, there was also probably some pride. There was probably some pride in all of that. And where we grab that out of the text is this, is that she was one of the only people that we see recorded in in the Gospels that wanted healing from Jesus that snuck up behind him to get that healing. If you read through the rest of the Gospels, what you'll see is that when somebody was physically had something going on and they came to Jesus and wanted healing, they were very public about it. I mean, they would come up and be like, Jesus, see, I'm blind or, or I'm lame right now. Or they would be laying out in a spot in public where all of those who had the physical ailments were. And so Jesus would show up and it was very, very public for so many people. This is probably or what I seem, seem to think is the only, the only recording of somebody who needed healing that snuck up behind Jesus and did not want to make it public. So she had this inadequacy in her life, this failure in her life, this thing that was embarrassing to her, but she also had her reputation. She had some pride that she didn't want everybody to know. And so she snuck up behind him to try to touch his cloak. And the first point or observation I want to make out of the passage and where our lives kind of parallel the life of this woman is this, is that really is the formula for shame. The formula for shame, if there is one, is this. It's our inadequacy and our pride. When we understand that we're inadequate, but we also have some pride, we have some reputation, we're not okay with that inadequacy. When those two things are together, that's when we start to feel humiliated. That's when we start to want to conceal or hide. And so let me illustrate it this way, because I think what a lot of us do when we look at our own lives is we end up kind of bifurcating our lives. We split our lives into two. We, We wouldn't really admit that we do this, but Really, this is what happens, is that we think that there's two, uh, you think there's two of you, and I think there's two of me. There's the ideal you, and then there's the bad you. And the ideal you is the you that really uh, follows this. Let Just fill in the blank. I should fill in the blank. You've got your answers, I've got my answers. But the way you answer that and the way I answer that, that's what determines 
the ideal you. So I should always be in control of my emotions. I should always want to feel like spending time with Jesus. I should always share the gospel every chance that I get. I should not feel anxious. I should be married right now. I should be in a better job right now. I should be in a better uh, financial position right now. Whatever it is, when you have all of those things lined up, you are setting these expectations on your own life saying you should do something. And when you do achieve those little goals that you set out, when you do behave in the way that you think you should, that's the ideal you. That's the you you like because you're behaving. That's the you you think everybody else likes because you're performing. That's the you you think God really loves, the, the, the you that is easy for God to love. So we have this ideal that every single one of us wants to achieve. But we also know, based on our experience, that that's not always happens. We don't always meet up with our own expectations. And so we have some failure, some inadequacy that comes into our life. We cannot keep up with the, our own standards that we set in our own life. And so inevitably, even though you want to always stay in control of your emotions, even though you want to never feel anxiety, even though you never want to get angry again, the fact of the matter is this, you do get angry. You do feel anxious. You are ashamed of your family. You are ashamed of your past. You do not do everything that you wish you would do. So there is inadequacy. And when there's inadequacy, then we think we are the bad version of us. And this bad version of us down here, this is toxic. We don't like it. We don't think other people like it. We don't think God likes it. And so we wallow. There's two us. We wish we could be some way. We're inadequate. And so we come down here and there is the bad us. When we're down here in this toxic part of our life, this is where shame pops in. This is where we start to feel humiliated. This is where we want to conceal or to hide everything. I remember the day in my life specifically, I remember the night when shame became very, very real for me. It was probably in my uh, early 20s. I was living in Atlanta at the time, and I was an accountant. I was an auditor, and I had a client in Huntsville, Alabama. I had gone to this client completely on my own. My firm had sent me out there on my own and showed up on a Sunday night, and I was there all the way through Thursday night. I was going to be driving back home on a Friday after work, and I remember it was really a pretty great week until it got to Thursday night. It was a great week because I was by myself and being a natural introvert, I liked uh, having time to be by myself in the hotel and read. And I was reading a great book and I felt like I was growing in my relationship with God that week. I was reading a book about character and how you can grow to be a person of character. And I remember Thursday night, I read a chapter that said, sometimes in order to go forward, you have to go back. And I remember reading that sentence and hearing that author talk about, hey, you've got things in your life that you've done. You've got things that you've done to other people. You've got certain uh, actions that you need to confess and own up to. And this part of you, sometimes to be able to progress and to become a person of character, you've got to go back and deal with all of that before you can move forward in maturity and character. And I'll never forget how hopeless I felt that night. Because my story is this. My story is when I was three years old, I was first exposed to pornography. And so from age three until about age 21, pornography was a regular part of my life. I look back on my childhood, and there are certainly a lot of great moments. I had a loving family and had a great family, great parents. But I look back on my childhood, and there is also a tremendous amount of embarrassment. 
Being exposed to pornography at that young, that meant in those, those years when I was uh, making decisions and I was uh, involved in certain activities that were just embarrassing. And I felt like there was this part of my life that the thought of going back and revisiting that, the thought of going back in order to go forward, the thought of going back and maybe telling somebody else about those things was horrifying. And I remember there was just, in that moment, I just said, I'm gonna conceal this. I don't wanna talk to anybody about this. If that's what it takes to go forward, I'm fine not going forward. And so I'll never forget that night. I closed that chapter, I closed that book, I put it in my bag, and I just said, I wanna do anything I can to not think about my past right now. So I turned on the television and I slept that night with the lights on and I made sure for the next couple of weeks that I never was alone or quiet. I always wanted noise because I did not want to go back there. I was feeling humiliated to think that I was going to have to go back and somehow deal with this. I liked this Adam. I didn't like this Adam. I thought God liked this Adam. I didn't think God liked this Adam. And I didn't want to go back. Shame causes us to hide. It causes us to run. And the reason that it's there is because we all feel this deep-seated inadequacy. We all know we've done things. We all know that we fall short of, of our own standard in life, and that's the formula. That's the formula often is our inadequacy mixed with our pride, and so that's the reason for our shame. But let's keep going because the story gets much better. So verse 45, Jesus said, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. So you can imagine the scene. Jesus, he felt that somebody had touched him and he starts going around going, who was it? Was it you? Was it you? Was it you? Was it you? And everybody denied it. And then Peter finally steps up and just says, listen, uh, there's a lot of people around. So maybe it was just somebody touched you by accident or something like that. And Jesus said, uh, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And so let me just pause here and let's just have another observation and see where our lives kind of run parallel to this woman's life. But first, let me say this. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus here wondering who touched him. It's not like Jesus was a character or a person in a video game that when he got hit and some power went down and he's just sitting around going, all right, I, I saw my power levels go down. Who hit me? You know, he, he, knew exactly, he knew exactly what was going on. The point of this interaction and the reason why Luke was recording these details is because what was going on is that woman was gone. She had run. She wasn't there. And so the second observation that I want to make is this, is that the reason, the reason for our shame is inadequacy and pride, but our response to shame, our response to shame is often the exact same as this woman's. Our, res our response to shame is to run. It's to run. And so when we come over here and we have this ideal you and you're inadequate and then there's this bad you, you don't want to hang down here. And so what do you do? You run. You run. And you run to anything that you think is going to get you back to the ideal you. And so some of you, what you do is you run to religious things. And let's just be honest, there's probably some of you in the room here tonight. And the reason you're here tonight is because you're trying to make up for something you did this weekend. And so you'll run to religious things, you'll run to church, you'll run to these religious activities where you're just going, all right, I'm going to read my Bible every day, or I'm going to serve every day, or I'm going to give, or I'm going to try to be others focused. And so you'll run over there, or you'll start to feel bad about yourself and, and, and inadequate. And so you're going to run to the gym, you're going to run to work, 
You're going to run to Netflix. You're going to run to podcasts. You're going to run to anything that will get your mind off of thinking about your own inadequacy. And so when we start to feel this shame, we start to run. There's an activity because it's intolerable. We always want to do something. And so we'll run towards these other activities or we'll run away from certain activities and certain people. We'll run from God. We'll run from our friends. When, when do you want to not answer the text from somebody in your community group on how are you doing? You want to answer it about two or three hours after you've just face your own inadequacy again and you understand and you're feeling all of this shame. And what we start to realize with this with shame, guys, is we start to realize this, is that this, this shame that we feel down there, it is really a gateway mood. It's a gateway emotion to other things. Oftentimes, because we feel the shame, this is where we bring about other destructive habits into our life. This is why we run to anger. This is why we run to addictions. This is why we're so anxious. It's not because we struggle with anxiety. It's because we struggle with shame. Or not because we we struggle with drugs and alcohol. It's because we struggle with shame. We're trying to hide something. We're trying to get this feeling away from anything and everything except from Jesus. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so for my story... For my story, the gateway for me, when I was feeling shame, the gateway for me was anger. That's where I would go. I would go with anger. And so I remember very clearly, again, one of the times where this became so clear that when I was feeling shame, I would act out in anger and I thought I had an anger problem. And to my great shame right now, I need to share with you another story about a cat. And I now am going to go down as the guy that came to the porch and shared two stories about cats, okay? So that's okay. So anyway, it's the same cat, Pedro. I am in my apartment. Uh, Again, we don't have kids. And for some reason, the memory that I have is I remember I was doing a puzzle. I think it was over Christmas. So it just makes this story even better, right? And I'm doing a puzzle. And I remember the cat kept getting up on the table and interrupting the puzzle and like moving all the pieces away and I'm getting frustrated and I keep pushing the cat down, he jumps off, I push the cat down, he jumps on, I push the cat down and I get so frustrated with him. Every time he jumps up there, I'm getting more and more frustrated but then I also know that I'm starting to get frustrated that I'm getting frustrated and I start to think I shouldn't be getting frustrated for a cat interrupting my puzzle right now. And so I finally, he jumps up there and I push him down and he kind of scurries on the table and you know, all these pieces go flying and I am so mad and so frustrated right now that I just pick up the closest thing I can find, which is a bag of pretzels. And I chase him around the apartment and I throw the bag of pretzels at the cat, which does absolutely nothing to the cat. And all it does is pretzels and salt go flying everywhere, all over the apartment and all over the wood floors. And now there are just little granular pieces of salt and pretzel everywhere. And I'm sitting there and I'm just going, what is going on? And I remember I went to go talk to my friend and I was trying to process this with my friend. And I was just like, man, here's, here's what happened. I tell you, man, I got an anger problem. I think I've got an anger problem. He said, well, tell me about it. And I'm going, this and this. And I threw the pretzels and salt went everywhere. And he's like, yeah, maybe an anger problem, but why were you angry? I said, why was I angry? Well, here's exactly why I was angry. I was angry because I was so frustrated at how flustered I was getting. I was angry because I just realized, Adam, you shouldn't be mad about this. 
Adam, you shouldn't be freaking out about this. Adam, you shouldn't, uh, you should be able to stay in control of your emotions. You should be calm. I mean, you've been following Jesus for almost 10 years now. Shouldn't you grow up beyond this silly little behavior where a little thing like this is frustrating you? And I'm just listing out all of these should, 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 should. And he's just going, listen, man, I just want to help you and connect these dots here. Your anger, your anger is you're trying to run. It's rooted in your shame. That's where that anger comes from. And so shame causes us to run towards things. And what we all know in here, and every single one of us would admit this, is whatever it is that you do that you run to try to get back to the ideal you, what you know is this, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's why you keep going back over and over and over and over again. And that's why this cycle continues in our life is because our strategies for dealing with shame that don't involve Jesus do not work. Because no matter where you run, no matter where you try to hide, you're always there. And our strategies don't help us at all. So the reason for our shame is this inadequacy and this pride And our response to shame is typically to run, but there's a remedy. There's a remedy that this woman encountered, and there's a remedy for all of us that we can encounter. And so let's look at this. Let's look how this story wraps up here. Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out for me in verse 46. Here's what he says in verse 47. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. I don't know if we can recreate the tension and the emotion and the relief and the embarrassment and the anxiety and all of that 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 woman probably was feeling, but all I know is this, is it seems like she was ready to quit hiding. She was ready to quit hiding. And when Jesus kept calling out and she knew that the Lord was calling her and that's why he was saying, where, where, you know, I know power went out. He wanted to draw this woman out and she just finally said, I'm done running. I'm done trying to hide. And she fell at his feet and in front of everyone, that whole crowd that was there, she admitted, here's why I touched your cloak. Here's what's going on in my life. So she was incredibly vulnerable and she laid it at the feet of Jesus. And what she wanted when she went to go find and sneak up to Jesus, what she wanted was healing. And she got healing, but she got something way more than that too, is that she got a relationship, a relationship with God. She got grace. She was now no longer this recluse. She was now a daughter of the king. She came looking for healing, and what she got was not just that, but she got a restored relationship with God. She was no longer a social outcast. And so this third observation that we'll make as we wrap up tonight is this, is that the remedy for our shame is to come to terms with reality. This woman just came to terms with reality. I can't hide anymore. I gotta go just bring it to Jesus. She came to terms with reality. And so the remedy for my shame and for your shame is not just to keep running, Because if we keep running, we're just gonna stay on this cycle and it's just gonna keep going and going and going. And so I have some bad news for you. The bad news is this is true. This is true about you. 
There are moments in your life where you can be the ideal you. There's moments in your life where whatever it is that you think you should do, you can do it. You can achieve that. You can act a certain way for a certain period of time in your own strength. But what else is true about you is that you are wholly inadequate to keep it up for a long period of time. And what's also equally true about you is there's a lot of bad in every single one of us. And the bad news is this, is that there is more bad in us, there is more inadequacy in us than there is ideal in us. But the good news is this, is that God is not surprised by any of that. And what's even better, the even better news is he loves you anyway. That's, that's what's called the gospel. That God saw here that we all fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death. He knows that this is who we are and that not only, not only do we feel bad about ourselves in this, but this fractures our relationship with the God of the universe. And the wages of that sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so not only does this lead us on a cycle where we just feel this shame and this humiliation, this separates us from God. And God didn't want to leave us there. And so he sent Jesus to die on the cross on our behalf. That's the good news. And so the reality though for us The reality that we need to embrace is this, is that you and I, we need the gospel every single day of our life. You don't just need it one time to receive forgiveness for your sins, and then you don't need the gospel anymore. You need the gospel every single day of your life because every day you are faced with your own inadequacy. You cannot be the person that you want to be apart from Jesus. And I think for so many of us, part of the shame that we feel is that we feel ashamed that we need the gospel every day. We're just, we're just tired that we have to keep, that we keep failing and that we can't seem to string together a, a good season. And what really is going on is our pride is so high that we just are ashamed that we need the gospel every day, that we're a sinner in need of a savior, not one time, for a lifetime. And may we never be ashamed of the gospel. May we be like Paul. Look at what he says here in Romans chapter one, verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What Paul is saying there is, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I need the gospel every single day. You know why? Because my righteousness, my relationship with God is not based on my own activities. If it were based on my own activities, I'm sunk. I don't need a second chance. I've already blown the second chance. I need a savior. And I need that savior every single day. And I just wanna remind us tonight of this, is that when you say you're a Christian, when you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that is a self-deprecating statement. You know what you're telling the world when you say, I follow Jesus? You're saying, I'm not good enough. I can't save myself. I can't string together enough good days. Left to myself, I'm going to hell. And I don't need a second chance. What I need is I need a savior and that savior is Jesus Christ. And so I love that you get to hear that if it's your first time here at the porch. Because I'd imagine you come into a room like this and you see all these beautiful people in here raising their hands and they're singing and you're maybe feeling shame and just going, all these people must be so good. 
They must be so good that they can sing and they smile and they look like they're in a good mood. And I just want to let you know if that's you and it's your first time, this room is not full of good people. This room is full of very bad people. In fact, let's just take a moment. Make sure your wallet is still there, ladies. Make sure your purse is still around, okay? Because there are bad people in here. This is not a museum of awesome. This is a hospital full of sick people who have found the healer in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. The only way, the only way to get off this shame cycle is you've got to run somewhere else. The only way is that you've got to run to Jesus. That's how you get off the shame cycle. So the source, the reason for our shame is inadequacy and pride because we know that we cannot be who we want to be and yet we're prideful and we're embarrassed about that. And so that's why we feel this need and this humiliation to conceal and hide and we end up running because shame is intolerable. We run to something. We run to things or we run from people or from God. And those solutions never work. And the only remedy is to come to terms with reality and that we need the gospel every single day. And so I'll close with this one last story when the end of the shame cycle became very clear in my life. And so I had that night in Huntsville, Alabama. I read that book and I was like, I just want to forget all of my past. I don't want to go back and talk about anything. And I drove back to Atlanta and went a few days of just trying to isolate and trying to ignore. And it just, it was overwhelming. The shame was overwhelming. And I finally just said, I've got to tell somebody. And so I got a couple friends together and I just said, listen, we've been friends for a while. You know a lot about me, but you don't know everything. And I'm feeling overwhelmed with the sense of humiliation. And I just, I don't know how you're going to react to this. I'm, I'm afraid of how you're going to react to this, but I'm just going to tell you everything. And so here's what happened when I was three. And then here's what happened in my uh, elementary school years. And then here's what middle school was like. And here's what high school was like. And here's what college was like before I came to know Jesus. And I did this. And then I thought that. And then I used to believe this. And then there was this experience. And I just laid it all out there. And it was so uh, terrifying because I had no clue what they were going to do. I didn't know if somebody would love me anyway. So I laid it all out there and I was just amazed at the amount of grace and mercy that was shown to me as I shared all of those things. And my friends looked at me and they said, me too. Yeah, maybe it looks a little bit different, Adam. Maybe it's not the exact same facts and circumstances, but let me tell you all the things that I'm embarrassed about. Let me tell you all the things that I am humiliated by. And we just in that moment just got into this habit of being able to share these things that normally would plague us and be this cycle of shame and try to drive us to run from God or run to some religious activity to try to make ourselves feel better. And we just got in this habit of trying to just confess these things to one another. And so now for the past 10 or 15 years, that's how I deal with shame. That's, that's the remedy, is that you run to Jesus and you often, by running to Jesus, you run to Jesus' people. And when you run to Jesus and you run to Jesus' people and you just start to go, listen, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what I think you're going to leave me over. What you realize is that Proverbs 28 is true, that whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And so my challenge for all of us here tonight is this. It's just really simple. It's just to run to Jesus. Get off that cycle. 
We all do it. We've all got the cycle. We've all got inadequacy in our life. We've all got these things that are humiliating that we want to hide. We've got stories that we don't want to share. And so my challenge to you is to get off the cycle and to run to the cross and to first and foremost recognize and realize that God loves you anyway. There's intimacy there. He's not afraid of that. He knows all of those things. You've been found out already. And by running to Jesus, you can then run to his people and you can, you can tell someone. So if that's you here tonight and you walked in and you're just plagued by this shame and you know that it's this gateway mood or this gateway emotion and there's all kinds of other destructive behaviors in your life tonight, I'm telling you, you can get off that cycle. You can stop it tonight. The people that brought you here tonight, you can talk to them. The group of us down here at the end, we'd love to talk to you or to point you to other people that can help. There's a way off that cycle. So we're all inadequate, we all struggle with pride, we all wanna run somewhere, and the remedy is found when we embrace this reality that we are sinners in need of a savior, and that savior is Jesus, and we run to him, amen? Amen, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that we can share embarrassing stories and inadequacies in our own life with one another and we're just grateful we can do that, God. We're grateful that we can confess these things to you and that you love us anyway. We're grateful, Lord, that our deepest fears of rejection are just cast aside when we come to the foot of the cross. We're grateful, Lord, that stories like of this woman that our lives parallel that we can uh, identify with and I pray that all of us here tonight will experience that same grace and mercy that that woman experienced when she fell at your feet, Jesus. So Lord, we just thank you for the gospel that our relationship with you is not founded on what we do, but what, on what you did. And so God, we worship you not because we're good. We worship you because you're good and you forgive and you are full of grace and mercy. And so Lord, my friends tonight that are just trembling, that or afraid to tell somebody, I pray that you'll give them courage, Lord. That they'll talk to friends, that they'll talk to other followers of you, and they'll be able to experience the freedom that comes from running to the cross. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.